Um, Okay, let's study together. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We are heading into a new series called Resurrection Stories. We're going to pause on the Ephesians series that we've been studying called United, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to that here in a few weeks, but we're going we're gonna to kick off a new idea called Resurrection Stories Break Free. And uh, what it is, is we're going we're gonna to look at the Gospels over the next several weeks, and we're going to look at people's encounters with Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about resurrection power. The title of the message today is Resurrection People, how the resurrection defines us. What it, what it causes us to believe and how, to fu- how we function. And so uh, the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at how resurrection life infuses us with power and how it frees us from the shame of our past, how it frees us from all the bondages of our brokenness and woundedness and how we can walk in freedom. And so I'm really excited about this. And, the, and, and at the end of the series, seven weeks in, we're going to have a resurrection retreat. A resurrection retreat simply means we're going to get together and talk about what Jesus has done for us. And I know there's so many people who still are hanging on to baggage, still weighed down by the burdens of of things that are going on in their lives, and they need to be free. And we're going to spend time on that weekend, Friday night and Saturday, and we're going to pray for one another. We're going to worship together. We're going to teach and train, and we're going to become free people. People who walk and live in resurrection power. So you can look forward to that. that You can check all of that out at uh, onechapel.com and read a little bit about where we're heading. So let's pray and get into the scriptures. Father, we love you. We thank you for the life of Christ that is functioning, coursing through our lives the, the, the desire of your heart is for us to receive life from you. And so, Lord, today, as we look into the word, the scriptures, the word of life, would you cause revelation and illumination to occur in our hearts, in our minds, in our soul, and help us to respond to every word and to your voice, to obey by your will and by your grace. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection of Jesus is the central miracle in all of Christianity. It is more than just a historical or philosophical idea. It is indeed quite personal. It was personal to the people who experienced it over 2,000 years ago, when suddenly a man who had died showed up alive. And it continues to be personal to this day in how Christ interacts with us, challenges us, changes us, transforms us. The resurrection of Christ reorients our lives around what Christ has done, how he has conquered death and how he has defeated sin. And as we look at it today, I I want you to understand that our belief in the resurrection punctuates the idea of Christ's death, that, that Christ died for us. He took the sins of all the world, all of humanity, that's your sin and my sin, and he took it upon himself and he died and he hung on a cross. He took our place. We deserve death. He took it for us. The sin that separated us from God Christ took care of that, and then they laid him in a tomb. But what happened three days later is he didn't stay in the tomb. He got up. 
He was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is available to you and to me today. And so I want to I discuss that. The resurrection gives meaning, it gives perspective, and it gives power to our lives. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City. He said this in The Reason, a Reason for God. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? Because he's just a nice guy and a, and a great teacher, and you, know, you can follow his teachings. He said, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And if he, listen, if he rose from the dead, if the resurrection is real, that is a profound, there's profound implications for our lives and for how we live as a community. Paul the Apostle was writing a letter to the church at Corinth, and it's on your message notes, and you can follow me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 3, it says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also passed on, been passed on to me. You know what that means? That means here's what's most important that the apostles shared with me, what God has told me, and I'm going to share it with you. This is the primary thing right here. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. I like that phrase, just as the scriptures said. Paul the Apostle is talking about the Old Testament. If you're new to faith, if you're new to the Christian life, we look to the Bible because it is the story, it is the record of God's interaction with humanity. And we look to it to understand the solutions for life. And all through the Old Testament, there is, there is a verse after verse, section after section that points forward to the coming of a Messiah who would die, who would take the sins of the world upon himself, that would renew people's hearts, who would become the king over all. It's Jesus Christ himself. And Paul's saying, the scriptures have said this. It's happening just as the scriptures said. What he's saying is the scriptures are reliable. They're trustworthy. Verse five, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul saw him on a road to Damascus where he was going to persecute some Christians who were following Jesus because he thought they were heretics and he was going to persecute them and God knocked him down on the road to Damascus and blinded him for three days and said, it's me who you're per persecuting. After Paul said, who are you, Lord? He said, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a very abnormal and, and, and unique way. And Paul references that here. But I want you to see that he was seen by Peter, he was seen by the 12, he was seen by James, and he was seen by 500 people at one time after he was raised from the dead. If you look around the room, there's about 400 seats in this auditorium. So a, a few more, 100 more than the seats in this auditorium saw him at one time. Now you have to understand what Paul is saying here because he's, I think he's making a case. All historians believe that this letter was written 
somewhere between five and 15 years after the events around Christ's death and resurrection. Five to 15 years, somewhere in that span. No more than 15, no less than five. And so what Paul was doing here is saying 500 people saw him in the setting, and most of those are still alive. And if you want to consult them, you could hear the story. He was writing a public document to be read in all the churches. And as he was writing this document, he was saying, look, this, this is, this, there's people who can corroborate this evidence. All right, it's not just me. It's not just a few of his followers. There's a whole bunch of people who witnessed this miracle. And what the skeptics sometimes, sometimes the skeptics, they, they criticize the gospels because they say they're propaganda or, or they're, they're retold much later. Look, from the very beginning, the resurrection was taught as a fact, as a reality. It wasn't later. And the apostle Paul was saying this was, this was known by everyone, and he couldn't have been preaching if the tomb was, had a body in it. He couldn't have been preaching all this. Everybody would have thought he was crazy, but the tomb was empty. He also couldn't have been preaching this if no one would have seen Jesus, right? It's just a clue to help us understand that these are real events. What the skeptics sometimes don't do is they don't explain the dramatic rise of Christianity in that first century. They don't describe the dramatic rise of Christianity through persecution, through suffering. Every apostle, every disciple died a martyr, and yet thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to follow Jesus. How do you explain that? Could it be that there was a life-altering, reorienting of reality? Because they experienced the power of God in a way they hadn't before? Resurrection life, this is your first fill in the blank. Resurrection life reorients our reality and releases faith for what is actually possible. It alters our reality. And the best way to, I mean, honestly, the best way to to prove the reality of resurrection life and power is not necessarily through the scriptures. It's looking at how Christ is changing people today. The proof is that it keeps happening. So not only are we going to look at the scriptures and the gospels over the next few weeks and look at people's interaction with Jesus and how he freed them and transformed them with resurrection life, but we're going to look at the people in our own community here at One Chapel and what Christ has done in them and how they've experienced resurrection life and moved from death to life, from discouragement to hope, from failure to freedom. There's something going on, and we need to hear the stories. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Everybody say, living hope. Living hope. Living hope. <laughs> You're reading it with your holy glasses. There's a living hope. That's really nice. No, living hope. Last week I, I, I mentioned it, but there's nothing more powerful than hope. Living hope, it's alive. 
And he says here, he says, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the resurrection that convinces us of Christ's work. Our community as believers, as Christians, is formed and fashioned and framed by this miracle. We're defined by the power of resurrection and we are moving. People are moving from death to life and from light to darkness and from discouragement to hope and from failure to freedom. People are actually experiencing it. And so we're gonna look at three stories, all right? You wanna go with me? John chapter 20. John 20, turn there with me and we're gonna start and we're gonna read the resurrection story. We're gonna talk about three people. We're gonna talk about Mary's deliverance. We're gonna talk about Thomas's doubt and we're gonna talk about Peter's denial. Let's look at it. Verse one, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. All right, so pause. John, the book of John that we're reading from is written by John and he doesn't ever refer to himself as me or I, I saw this. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> now, he wants to make sure we, we know that he says it many times. We're not sure if the other disciples thought that they were the disciple that Jesus loved, but we know that John was the one who wrote it. All right, so this is his description. So, so he came running. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> he wanted us to know that he was loved by Jesus and that he was a really fast runner. Verse five, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and I love this phrase, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. Now, he believed, but notice verse nine. Notice the next verse. Notice what it says. It says, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Jesus had told them over and over again, they were still, they were still wrapping their heads around a new reality. They couldn't quite imagine a place where people actually who were dead would come alive. And so they... They, uh, they were still working through it. Here's the story of Mary. Verse 10 says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She was still operating from the old reality. Hey, hey, Kalen for a long time operated from an old reality. And Jesus was trying to reach him. 
Look at what happens to Mary. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He stayed hidden. Jesus stays hidden sometimes. Sometimes he reveals himself and we choose not to look or we choose not to receive, but he's always near trying to communicate who he is. But right here, he has a little fun with Mary because Jesus has a real personality. He was a real person. <laughs> he was real flesh and bone. Look what he says. Woman, he said, why are you crying? As if he didn't know. Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. I'll take care of him. Jesus said to her, Mary, bam, he said her name. Jesus, often there'd be a moment in our lives where Jesus says our name, where he says, I know you and I'm with you and I'm here right beside you. And suddenly she turns toward him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I'm returning to my father and your father, to, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, you have to understand about Mary because Mary had a sordid past. We know from Luke 8 and Mark 16, it tells us that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Seven demons some of you are like, demons, what is, what, is, what is this pastor talking about? I don't know, well, I don't know about demons. Look, all you got to do is turn on the television, look at, look at the, the latest movies, and you'll see all kinds of crazy, supernatural, weird stuff. Evil, evil junk that you're filling your brains with. Listen, demons are real. The spiritual realm, don't look at me like that. <laughs> The spiritual world is real and darkness wants to consume people. There is evil in the world and it is trying to take over. That's the only way that evil can be gratified is taking over people. Darkness takes over a person. That's the only way it becomes fulfilled. But Jesus is trying to bring light into the world. Mary was full of darkness and oppression. Mary moved from darkness and bondage to freedom. Something had happened to her. And that's why she was there on that Sunday morning, early, trying to find Jesus. She loved him and she wanted to take care of him, even if it was his dead body. But something happened in that moment something that was more profound. See, here's the thing. You may be here today and you may be thinking, I have, I have habits and I have addictions I need to be free from. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that Jesus wants to free you from them. You may be thinking to yourself, Pastor Ross, you don't have no idea what I've done. I don't, I don't know that it's possible. I'm, I'm just here with a friend. Let me tell you, Jesus knows what you've done and he, he died for it. He doesn't really care about what you've done in your past. He wants to wipe it away and give you a new start, a new future. 
He wants to change the way that you're living, not consumed by darkness, but consumed by freedom and consumed by resurrection power. Mary was the first to experience the resurrected Christ, and here's why this is profound. Because the first person to see the resurrected Christ was a woman. Women were not respected in this day. Their testimony wouldn't even be valuable. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be, uh, it wouldn't go on the record in, an, in, a, in a court process, in a court proceeding. They wouldn't even hear it. They wouldn't even hear their testimony. They were, they were not respected. They were not held in high honor. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus revealed himself to a woman first because he's a barrier breaker. He breaks barriers. He pushes through culture that, that holds barriers in front of us. He breaks through uh, political barriers. He breaks through social barriers. He wants to break through the barriers of our lives and the barriers of our existence and describe and reveal who he is. This is what he does. Listen, if, if, the, if the disciples, let's put it this way, if God wanted to make sure everybody believed the story he sure wouldn't told a woman first. Of course, God also knows that men are the forgetful ones, so he told a woman to go tell the men what had happened. So something really profound is happening here. She was the first eyewitness. It's another clue that the story had to be true. If you were going to make up a story, you would make up one without a woman being the first eyewitness. Reality was reorienting in their minds and their lives. Resurrection people believe that light actually does dispel the darkness, that people can change, that there is transformation, that God does actually do something with his power in the life of a person. If you continue to go through the story, verse 19, look at it. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Look, they had the doors locked in the room because their leader had just been killed and they were afraid they were gonna get killed too. So here they are, they're locked in a room, and suddenly Jesus is standing in the middle of them like Star Trek. And then he says, peace be with you. And they said, well, stop scaring us. Peace be with you. He says it, and he says, look, the... You can, you can have peace here. After he said this, he showed his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Why does he say it twice? Because they were freaking out. The guy that they saw, dead, bleeding from a giant spear wound out his side, a guy who had hung on a cross and was completely dead, was suddenly alive. It changed, it altered their reality. We get stuck in our old reality sometimes. If you keep going down to verse 24, you'll see the story of Thomas. Verse 24 says, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, look, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. I think doubting Thomas gets a bad rap. 
I think doubting Thomas was not as much of a, of a doubter as we think he was. I think, and this is your, your next fill in the blank, I think he was a realist with a negative slant. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay, let's be honest. He was probably a pessimist because all pessimists want to be known as realists. But here's the thing. He simply wanted to be completely committed. If I tell you a story about John 11, where Lazarus was raised from the dead, you will see a Thomas who was responding to Jesus with everything he had in him. In fact, Jesus says, we're going to go and we're going to wake up Lazarus from sleeping. And the disciples go, uh, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up on his own. We don't need to go. They were afraid to go to this place, the house of Mary and Martha, because it was in the, the village of Bethany, and that was in the province where Jesus had already been, and they had, they had, they had attacked him. The Jewish leaders were so fed up with him. They were trying to find ways to kill him. And so the disciples knew that, they, that Jesus was in trouble. And, they, and they, so they have this conversation in John 11 and they say, well, why are we going back there? They tried to kill you. We don't want to go back there. You can't go back there. And the conversation goes on a little bit more. Verse 14, Jesus says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And Thomas responds, in verse 16, he's nicknamed the twin. He says, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. He, he said, all right, if this is what we're in for, let's go and let's die with him. If they're going to kill him, I'm going to die with him. I'm all in. Thomas wanted to be completely convinced, and that's what happens to many skeptics. The truth is, skeptics become skeptics because they want to believe what is true. You might see yourself in Thomas, skeptical but wanting to believe. Often people choose not to believe because they've been hurt, they've been wounded. I think at this moment Thomas is disillusioned. He's put his hope in a man who died and they killed him. He was ready to die for him, but it all ended very horribly. Thomas can't see what's about to happen. He's just totally disappointed, totally broken and wounded. And sometimes that's just like us where we get broken, we get wounded, we get hurt by somebody in our past, and we just lose hope. We're just not willing to believe. We become skeptical of everybody, become skeptical of the church, become skeptical of the pastor. Can I encourage you today that it's okay to pursue your doubts. Resurrection people believe it's okay to pursue our doubts. You know why? Because if you'll pursue your doubts, if you'll go all the way to the end, if you'll pursue every doubt you have, at the end of that, you will find Jesus there waiting for you. God is not intimidated by your doubts or my doubts. He's not intimidated by our skepticism. He's waiting for you to press all the way through it to find him. Thomas was the first to identify Jesus' divinity. 
All right? Look at this. We'll finish out the, the passage. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again. One more time. He just likes to appear places. And then he says, peace be to you. And by the way, if we just see Jesus as peace to you, not the right it's not the right picture of Jesus there's something else happening here he has a personality he's connecting with the disciples he's saying look this is real flesh and blood he says uh, peace be with you and then he said to Thomas I, can, I love it he appears he says peace and then he says Thomas check out the scars he says put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and put it in my side stop doubting and believe Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, which is another way to say, he said, you are who you said you were. You're exactly who you said you were. And I believe you. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. I want you to understand that God wants to reveal himself to you. And by the way, it took Thomas some time, right? Some time to get there. It was a, it was a few weeks before, he, before Jesus revealed himself to him. Jesus knows the right time to reveal himself, as he did with Mary, as he did with Thomas. And then finally, Peter, I have to just go quickly through the story Peter was a boisterous personality, loud and obnoxious, always trying to, to say the right thing, but had huge insecurity, and so he, would always, he was always busting through everything and telling the disciples what to do and telling Jesus what to do, and, and, and even one time, Jesus is trying to tell him, you know, here's how it's going to play out. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised to life, and, and uh, G, uh, Peter says to Jesus, well, fourth time I've said that, easy for you to say. Peter says to Jesus, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have the, in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. It is really a bad day when Jesus himself calls you Satan. <laughs> Peter was constantly pushing when they were at the, 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 the <clears throat> foot washing, and Jesus is washing all the disciples' feet, and he, he says, no way, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, and Jesus says, well, you can't have any part with me then, and then he says, well, then put it all on me. I mean, he's just this crazy guy, right, and so he, he ends up, Jesus says, look, you keep saying all these things, you keep doing all these things, and, and he says, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you, but I'm going to, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to accomplish my purpose. It's in Luke 22. You have the verses right there on your, on your, um, Message note, but I'll just tell you the story. He says, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter says, no, man, I will die with you. You pick up the story, and they're in a courtyard, and Jesus is being whipped. He's being beaten. His beard is being pulled out, and, and Peter's kind of lurking near, close by, and he's trying to hide, and a little waitress girl comes by and says, I think you're one of them, and he's like, no, I don't know her, and then somebody else says, no, I think, I think you were with him. He says, I don't know this guy, and then the, the, the third time, they say, you're a Galilean. They're saying his, his uh, accent gave him away. Galilee was like the country. He wasn't from the city. He's like, you're from the country. You are with him. And, he, and one, 
One passage in the Gospels say that he started calling curses down upon himself and swearing and saying, I don't know this man. And if you look at Luke 22, it says, as soon as he said that, he heard the rooster crowing and he caught eyes with Jesus. Jesus looked at him in that moment. And then he remembered what Jesus had said. And then the scripture says that he wept. He ran out and wept bitterly. This guy failed spectacularly. That's your fill in the blank. He had failed spectacularly. And sometimes we feel like we've failed spectacularly, but God has a purpose and a plan. If you look at John 21, you will find Jesus reinstating Peter. He comes to the beach. Jesus is still revealing himself to people, and and Peter's kind of like, okay, forget this Jesus stuff. I'm going back to fishing because that's all I know. John 21, so he's out there fishing, and Jesus comes from the beach, and he says, uh, onto the beach, and he yells out, and he says, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? That's the parsley paraphrase. But he says, come on, that was funny. <laughs> so, he said, so he yells out to him, he said, hey, put your nets down on the other side. Oh, that sounds familiar. I think that's happened before. They do it, huge, 153 fish, huge catch of fish, and they look at each other and they're like, it's the Lord, and Peter jumps in the water, and he starts swimming to the beach, and he gets to the beach, and Jesus is there, and it actually says this. He says, come and have some breakfast. Jesus cooks them some fish, and over the fire, they have this dialogue in John 21, and Jesus begins to tell Peter, he says, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter says, Lord, I do. He said, then feed my lambs. He says it again, Peter, do you, do you really love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He says it, Jesus says it one more time. He's driving home a point here. And Peter, it says, the scripture says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him three times. Like, why are, you, why are you doing this? I mean, this section of, pass, this passage of scripture is called the reinstatement of Peter. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, look, Jesus, you know all things. Like, ah, Peter's get, Peter gets it. You know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to feed my sheep. Now look, look, look. There's what he was doing. He was taking him from being a fisherman and he told him he would make him a fisher of men. But now he's moving from just chasing men to taking care of men, to being a shepherd. He's teaching him something different. He has a purpose for him that's beyond what has been. And even through all his failures, Christ had a purpose for Peter and he, and he reinstates him as a leader of what is coming, what is co- going to come to be known as the church of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter two, what you find is Peter preaching to thousands of people and thousands responding and believing in who Jesus is. In Acts three, you see Peter healing a crippled man, saying silver and gold, I don't have any, but I got power and he heals a man. And it creates an uproar. In Acts 4, Peter had so much courage that it astounded all the leaders and they, they took note that he'd been with Jesus. Acts 5, pe- Peter, uh, sorry, people were healed. People were healed just by Peter walking by and his shadow going over them. This guy, this guy who kept putting his foot in his mouth. Acts 9, Peter performed the first resurrection since Jesus himself. The first resurrection performed by Peter. 
Peter, in Acts 10, has the courage to preach to the Gentiles when others were not willing. Listen, listen to me. Resurrection people believe that God's purposes are so much greater, so much bigger than our own failures. God's purposes are so much greater than our own failures and guilt and condemnation may have you paralyzed, but Jesus is here today to say, I can take care of all that. You may be confused about what's next for you. You may think that God is mad at you. What I want you to know is Jesus wants to reveal himself to you and make sure that your purpose begins to unfold in your life. Here's what I, here's what I imagine him saying to Peter. It's the last phrase on your message notes. Because Jesus got up again, you can get up again. I imagine Jesus saying to Peter, look, Peter, because I got up again, you can get up again now. None of this has to stick to you. None of your past. I can change you. I can transform you. Now, it took time for Peter, and sometimes it takes time for us, but there is a moment when Jesus reveals himself. 